You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. But before we do that, I want to talk to you about um, this time of prayer and fasting, these uh, 21 days or 20-ish days or so, um, or however many days you make it, you know, that's a, no, I'm sorry, that's a bad joke, all right. So I want to talk to you just really quick about um, the purpose of this fast and, and, and what a fast is, what a fast isn't, um, and, and just to kind of give you a little bit of direction on this. And so this is a time for us to center our, our hearts on Jesus, on Jesus, to be renewed by the Holy Spirit, to grow in a deeper relationship with the Father. So here's what a fast is not. Okay, a fast is not a diet. All right, you're not jump-starting your New Year's, di- New Year's uh, diet uh, with this fast. All right, don't, don't, don't fast because you're like, oh, well, this makes sense, and i got to lose some weight, so I guess I'll kick it off with this, right? This is, that is not, don't do that, all right? Do not do that. A fast, this fast is not an obligation. It's not an obligation, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. And because it's not an obligation, it's not mandatory. I'm not telling you and not standing up here and inviting you to this fast and telling you that you have to fast. This is really a time for you to ask the Lord and say, God, what is it that you want me to fast? Do you want me to fast? What is it that you want me to fast? This is between you and the Lord, and you have to listen to the Lord and be prepared to to hear what the Lord says. A fast is not a way to gain favor with God. You're not doing this to gain favor with God, to check a mark, to say, look, I was good, and God, I fasted this year, and hopefully you're going to do good things for me. That is not the purpose of a fast. However, a fast is an opportunity to remove some of the hindrances in our daily life in order to hear God. When we cut things out, whether it's in, our, in the intake of food or what we are watching, listening to, something that we normally do, we stop doing What we're doing is that we're cutting out something that could potentially be a hindrance and giving ourselves an opportunity to hear God. It's an opportunity to grow. A fast is an opportunity to grow in intimacy with God, to hear Him speak, to gain direction. Some of you are asking God for direction this year. A fast is an excellent way to do that. Sometimes we can't hear God in the direction that He's leading us, the direction that the Holy Spirit is, is giving us through the busyness of our life. And friends, I'm not, I'm not just saying this, but if we just cut out some of the stuff that we fill our time with, and we gave that time to God to listen, to pray, to meditate on who He is, would we maybe possibly hear Him clearly? Would we maybe possibly see His direction in our life? A fast can be used to break strongholds or to gain a foothold of faith. We know when we read scripture that we see this, that there were things that are, we wrestle with and things that we maybe we know we wrestle with, things in areas of our life that we struggle with, that we maybe struggle putting down or we struggle um, in, in, our, in our thought process. But there's also things in the spiritual realm that, that, are, that are, are being waged, a warfare that's being waged, and we feel that. And we say, God, listen, I want to give you an opportunity to to break those things. Part of spiritual growth means this, is to understand that that your wisdom is limited and your strength is limited. And some of the things that you walk through in your life, you simply can't fix. And you need the help of the Holy Spirit. And a fast is an excellent way to do that. 
A fast is a great way to beat down the pole of the flesh. At times in our life where we feel like our flesh is gaining some, a place that's starting to overcome, starting to direct the, 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 the pace of our life, that a fast is an excellent way to do this. So let me just talk about this for a second. What to fast? Well, what you're going to fast is this. Snickers bars on Tuesday. No, I'm just kidding. No, you, <laughs> what you fast is between you, you and the Lord. And I'm serious about this. There's not a standardized fast. You don't see that in the Bible. A lot of times what we do is we want a model. When we look at the scripture, we want to say, well, this is the way that Daniel did it. This is the way that Moses did it. This is the way that Jesus did it. And we want to say, well, we'll get the same results. But that's not the purpose because every time you see a fast in the Bible, God led them. The Spirit of God led them into that place. So what's the point? Is that when you fast, it is an opportunity for you to hear the Lord and allow Him to say, hey, this is what I want you to fast. It's between you and the Lord. When it comes to fasting, I need to just say this, and I think this is common knowledge, but it needs, it's important for it to be said for me from here, is that you have to be mindful if you have medical issues. If you can't fast food, fast, fast food. No, I'm just kidding. Don't just, <laughs> if you have medical issues, if you're in a job that is particularly laborious, you're working outside, you're sweating, it's not the smartest thing to do to fast food. If you're a nursing mother, whatever it, it might be, a medical condition that you know, tells you that you can't give up food, then do not feel the obligation. Don't get trapped into wrong thinking. That's manipulation. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. There are other things that you can fast. There are plenty of things in our life that you can fast. That being said, a fast... If you're going to fast, it has to be sacrificial. Don't look for a shortcut. But ask the Lord, if he's asking you to fast, fast, what would be a true sacrifice? Okay, so that's just a little bit of framework for this. And we've got um, a, about a week. We're going to start on the 6th, which is a Monday. So, you know, we'll tear up Luby's after church on Sunday. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I like joking about this stuff because everybody's face is like, oh, I got to give up food. What, what can I give up? You know, <laughs> I'm going to give up soup because <laughs> I eat soup zero in the month, you know. Um, and so we think about that. But, but listen, this is not an obligation. This is an opportunity. This is not mandatory. This doesn't make you less holy. It does not mean that God doesn't love you or you're not going to have the favor of God in your life. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. But I want to tell you that if, if, if you feel led to do this, that you can expect to hear God in a, in a great way. You're going to expect to see God move you forth in some direction, okay? And so pray about that, think about that, and we'll talk about next week the times that we're going to have set up besides Wednesday um, as, our, as our corporate times of prayer. And we'll have some things on our, our Facebook page, some, some scriptures that we'll be sharing every every morning, and just to kind of direct our, our time of prayer and fasting, ways to pray, that kind of thing. All right, so let's, let's get into this. Let's talk about praying in faith, praying in faith. I want to read just really quickly to you um, just a couple of scriptures, two different passages, one in John and one in Mark. 
where Jesus talks about um, some, this idea of what I believe to be praying in faith. In John 14, verses 9 through 14, this is an especially challenging passage because it stretches our faith. It stretches our faith. All right? So we're going to read about this. We're going to talk about this. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Cha-ching, right? Here we go. Jesus just launched out some very challenging scripture right here that I believe a lot of, I know for myself, maybe not you, but I don't want to presume that upon you, but for, for some of us, we've struggled with understanding this. So we're going to talk about what I believe is the context of what Jesus means that gives us the authority to be able to pray in faith. All right, I'm going to read one more passage to you here. We're going to put these two, uh, two passages together and talk about some principles of praying in faith. Uh, Mark 11, 22 through 25. Another challenging passage here it says this, have faith in God. Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that the father in heaven may forgive your sins. All right, here we go. Again, Jesus is really opening up the door of the bigness of prayer concerning our faith. It's important for us to understand what the scripture is saying here so that we can have the tools necessary to pray in faith. Now, here's the thing that the reason why um, we're talking about these two particular passages is because when we read these, if you're really listening and you're really reading these passages, immediately it's going to do something inside of you. You're either going to find reasons why maybe you can't like really ask God for everything or you're going to go, oh my goodness, here we go. Let me get my list out, right? It challenges us. But the reason why it challenges us is because we're not looking at it through the lens of what Jesus is saying and, and, and not seeing it through the lens of faith. So I want to start by just kind of talking through this and giving a couple of points about praying in faith. So the first thing is this, and now buckle up, get your pens and paper out, your phones out, wherever you take notes, you need to take notes, okay? This is really important. Is that the prayer of faith grows as we grow in relationship and intimacy with God. Under no circumstances are these two passages to be assumed uh, um, pliable, usable for somebody who is not in a growing, thriving, intimate relationship with God. So, this is what Jesus said here in John 14.
John 14, 14, he says, You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. But before this, Jesus is actually looking at Philip and looking at the disciples, and in essence, looking at us and asking us this question, Do you believe that God and I are one? Do you believe that God and I are one? Do you believe that I came and I am God, and the things that I am doing on earth display the heart of God? And I think the problem is this, that for a lot of us, gently throwing just a cannonball over the bow of your ship, we don't know who God is. We don't know who God is. Personally, I believe that when Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, what he is saying is this, do you know the names of God? Do you know who God, who has revealed himself to humanity is? So what I want to do for just a second to kind of give us a little bit of framework on how to pray in faith and where to ground our prayers, I want to talk about a couple of the names of God. This isn't a conclusive list by any means. This is just a couple of them. Because in order to invoke the name of God, to begin to pray the prayer of faith, you must know who God is. You must know who God is. The first name I want to give you is this, Jehovah Nissi, N-I-S-S-I. This is who God revealed himself as in Exodus 17. The Lord is my banner. And this is the story when the Israelites defeated the Amalekites, when Moses and Aaron and Joshua were on the mountain. And as long as Moses' arms were lifted, that the Israelites were winning the war. And eventually his arms grew weak. And so they held his arms up. They lifted his arms up. And this is the question I want to give to you. The, the thing I want to offer to you in each one of these names is this. Number one, did you know that? That the Lord is your banner. That he upholds your life. That he is the lifter of your head. The lifter of your arms. The strength of your life. Did you know that? When you pray, do you pray that prayer? Do you invite him to be the one who lifts you up? out of the situations and the circumstances. Now again, think about this story if you've never heard it before. That it was not dependent upon the strength of Israel's swords. It wasn't their military might or their wisdom, but it was based firmly on the outstretched arms of Moses where God became the banner over Israel to win the battle. How many times do you fight your own battles? Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Raha, R-A-A-H. This is the Lord, my shepherd. And where we see this most notably in the Bible is in Psalm 23. And David's well-known psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. And what David walks us through in that passage, in that, in that, in that, in that psalm is this, is the beautiful understanding of the one who cares 
the one who leads us through the highs and the lows of our life, that understands that when we walk into the deepest valleys of our life, the tragedies, the, the hard times, the circumstances, that he is the shepherd, the one who does not leave us, that does not let us walk out into the wilderness to be surrounded by the enemy, but instead he prepares a table in the presence of our enemies. Oh, man. Have you walked through a hard time in 2019? Have you walked through a valley of a shadow of death, of doubt, of discouragement, of frustration, of pain, of loss? Have you? Because who God is, is your shepherd who has been beside you, has established you, has prepared a meal of grace and peace and strength and renewal and hope and tomorrow, and future. Oh, man. So Jesus said this in John 14, not to give us a history lesson on the names of God, but to say that everything that God is, He is, and He has fulfilled every one of these things. Oh, man. See, listen, all I'm doing today is just building faith through the Word. We're building faith through the Word, right? Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Mm. Do we struggle with the healing of God? I know that in parts of my life I have. In Exodus 15, we see this where the Israelites were looking for water and they were in the wilderness and they went and they drank the bitter waters. And Moses threw a log in the water and it became clean. And he looked at the Israelites and he looked at them. And, and man, I want to tell you, I just, I believe with all my heart there was a ferocity in, in, in Moses' language here as they complained. And they were really good at complaining in the wilderness. As if it was worse than 400 years of captivity and slavery and death in Egypt. And they looked at Moses and they were complaining. And Moses looked right back and said, the God that delivered you out of, the, out of Egypt is not going to let you die He will heal all of your diseases. (laughs) He is Jehovah Rapha. Did Jesus suddenly change who God was when he came to earth? Did he stop being these things? Did God morph and change? Is he inconsistent? Is he bipolar? No! No, certainly not. Is he still the healer? Yes, church, he is still the healer. He is the healer of your flesh. He is the healer of your soul. He is the healer of your mind. He is the healer. Let me pause for a second. I felt that intensity coming off of me too. As a pastor, this is what I've recognized is this, is that there's times that seasons we walk through where we begin to trust too much. I begin to trust too much in my own wisdom and my own understanding. That a lot of times what happens is that we just get into autopilot in our relationship with the Lord and we just kind of go through it. We begin to listen to the things that aren't attached into the message of faith, the truth of who God is, the truth of the word of God. And and what happens is that we just kind of get stuck into a a rut. And a lot of times for that to be broken up, for that ground to be tilled up, 
and to be, be chewed up and to, to become soil that can have the word planted in it and to grow again, that there, there need, it needs to be addressed, right, in our lives. And we sometimes need to be woke up to the, the message of faith here. All right, the next one, Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there in Ezekiel 48. It speaks of God's presence being in Jerusalem. When God tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, it's more than just a symbolic act. It is a truth of the covenant of God that he's established as the eternal God, as God Almighty, that the Lord is there. It's a beautiful thing to understand that there is covenant on this earth that God has established and he has protected and he will fulfill Jehovah Tishkenu, the Lord our righteousness. In Jeremiah 23, we see this, and this means to make straight, to make upright. And all these things are, have been, are fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Really quickly, I want to do the next one. I'm going to mess this word up, but Jehovah Mikodeshkam. The Lord who sanctifies, and he's in Exodus 31, it's the ability to walk upright, to be set apart. Now, here's why I want to talk about these two together, is because when we put these two truths about who God is, what we see is the definition of grace. Because to be righteous and to be sanctified, to be righteous and to be sanctified are two different things, and they're impossible for us to do on our own. To be made like God, to have the righteousness of God put on us is an impossibility from man's perspective. It had to be done for us. And it was done through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When we celebrate communion, this is what this means. Is that we receive this beautiful gift and it is fully grace. It is fully given to us. There's not anything expected in return. It is the, the greatest act of love, the greatest understanding or definition of what grace is, this is it. But be, to be declared righteous does not mean that in our life we are going to walk out that righteousness perfectly. What has to happen is the work, to sanct the work of sanctification. But again... If God made you right, if he restored your place and said, now go act like it, tendency is this. If it was left up to us, we would revert back to what we knew, right? This is God's pattern. This is what he spoke to the Hebrews when he exiled them out of Egypt. He said, look, I brought you out from the land. That is righteousness. I restored you back to your place. Now I'm going to take slavery out of you. And that's the, that's the work of sanctification. This is who God is. And again, it is impossible for you and I to do. We must rely upon the Holy Spirit. How does this change your prayer life? How does this shift you in the way that you pray? Do you invite the grace of Jesus Christ in the work of the Holy Spirit into your everyday prayer life? 
Do you pray that by faith? God, it is impossible for me to be what you have called me to be, but thanks be to Jesus Christ. I need a fresh understanding, a fresh revelation of that grace. Give me grace so that I can walk in that love. Holy Spirit, will you lead me in righteousness? Will you teach me? Will you keep me from going to the right or to the left, from doing the things that maybe dishonor you, God, but bring me into life and bring me into my future? Holy Spirit, will you help me? I need you. Have you invited that into the, the, the application of your daily life? As parents, do you invite that into your relationship with your kids? I don't know how many kids are in here right now, but close your ears, kids. How many of you parents, don't raise your hand, just give me that little nod like, you know, you're right. You wanted to strangle your kids this last year. None of y'all, none of y'all. Y'all are perfect. How many of y'all got out of sorts with your children? How many of y'all got into a place? And I'm not saying that's not going to happen, but listen, here's the thing. Is that you can read as many blogs as you want, as many books as you want, talk to as many people as you want, drink as much wine as you want. I don't care what you do. It ain't ever going to be enough. Why? Because the operation of grace to understand what it means to stand in righteousness must be lived out through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you invite that into the relationships of your marriages, into your children, into your workplace, and say, God, I, I, I do not like this, but this is what you call me to be, so I need your help. I am praying in faith. This is not who I am. This is who you are. So change me into who you are. I must rely upon you. Jehovah Jireh. Oh, man, I love this one. I'm running out of time. The Lord will provide. You know where we get this from? This is the story of when Abraham, God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And at the last minute, he provided a ram in the thicket. And Abraham, as he built that altar, he cried out to the Lord and said, You are Jehovah. And the word Jehovah means this is the eternal one, the one who's come from the beginning, beginning God Almighty, He who was. Hmm. He said, You are the one who will provide. Have you been in a desperate situation in this last year? One that you have not seen a way out of, have you invited Jehovah Jireh into your life, into your prayer? Have you taken a step of faith toward that? Say, God, I believe that you are the one who has provided. If you're going to walk in the calling of God, if you're going to do what God has called you to do, then you must, you must understand this truth about who God is, the one who will provide. Because the things that God has called you to are going to be infinitely bigger than who you are. And one of the reasons why they're bigger than who we are is because God wants us to lean upon Him. To trust Him. To be the one who is our provider. The next is Jehovah Shalom. Oh, this is good too. The Lord is peace. And we see this referenced in Judges 6. 
And it's the story of Gideon when the angel of the Lord appears to warrior and Gideon says, not me. You got the wrong guy. I'm literally uh, milling my wheat in a wine press so my enemies and Midianites don't see me. I don't think that's mighty at all. I would not be in a Marvel superhero comic book right now. And God says, no, no, you're, you're mighty. You're strong. I'm going to use you to do, do some amazing things. And as this conversation proceeds, Gideon creates an altar to the Lord. And what transpires is something beautiful and something powerful is, is that Gideon has this revelation that God is the God of peace. Now, here's what I want you to understand when you see this and how this increases our faith as we pray. Is that Gideon was in an impossible situation, a situation where he would have been punished, he would have faced death, he would have been persecuted by his enemies. But God said, in spite of that, I'm calling you to something. But the only way that you're going to be able to do what I've called you to do, to stand into the, under, the revelation of what I'm saying you are, is first, not, not strength, listen, not resource, but peace. And to be able to do what God has called you to do in 2020, to be what God has called you to be, you are going to have to know Jehovah Shalom, the Prince of Peace. In the New Testament, the Scripture tells us that Jesus gives us the peace. This is the fulfillment of this. This is how he and God are one. This is proof. One of the proofs is that who is Jesus? He is the Prince of Peace. The peace that Jesus gives us surpasses our understanding. It guards our hearts and our minds. And the next time you read that scripture, I want you to flash back to Jehovah Shalom and understand the story of Gideon, where God spoke to Gideon and moved this this, this man who felt weak and, 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 and vulnerable and insecure into a place of what God called him to be in the matter of a conversation in the first words in this sacrifice and the altar that he builds to God is that you are Jehovah Shalom, my peace. And when you feel insecure and when you feel unstable, like you can't take a step and the next step or get out of bed or feel like you're, you can do what God's called you to do, then that what you need, more than strength and more than resource, is peace. And set your prayer there. Say, God, today would you be Jehovah Shalom? Jesus, would you be the Prince of Peace? Would you guard my heart and my mind? Would you allow your peace to exceed my understanding of what I feel and see? And the anxiety that is trying to grip my heart, would you be my peace? The last one I want to talk about is Jehovah Sabaoth, which is the Lord of hosts. And this is listed over 200 times in the Old Testament. Jeremiah, Isaiah. And the significance of this, I think, has particular application today in the way that we pray, in the way that we pray in faith. And, and my goodness, in so many ways. Where we set the anchor of our hope for our nation. Where we set the anchor of our hope. Oh. Because this is what this means. It's the acknowledgement. 
that God, that Jesus is the king of all heaven and earth. Your, your peace, your strength, your future. Friends, listen to me. This is going to shoot over some of you like a terribly, and I apologize in advance, does not hinge on the election coming up this year. It does not hinge on it. Stop looking at it for your future. Why? Because this is who he is. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the God, the ruler of heaven and earth. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. You keep yourself fixed on him. You keep your eyes fixed on him. You keep your eyes locked on him. You keep walking in an understanding and intimacy and a deeper relationship with him. You are going to be all right. Nothing is happening that is out of his control. All right, so bad news, good news. Hopefully that was good. You took notes. Bad news, that's point one. <laughs> All right, here we go. What time is it? <laughs> All right, I'm going to do one more, a few more, and then we'll be done. Okay, Okay. so we have to grow in our relationship and our intimacy with God. That's why we went through all those names. I believe this, that when Jesus said, hey, when you ask anything in my name, he wasn't just saying that we just rub the, 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 the lantern and go, Jesus, I ask you for this. Jesus, I ask you for this. No, that's, that's totally incorrect. And it lacks, it lacks understanding. It lacks relationship, the knowledge of who God is. But he was inviting us to say, look, me and the Father are one. And we've been consistent from the beginning of time. We've revealed ourselves as this over time consistently. We who are from the beginning, the eternal God, the almighty God, we have revealed ourselves. But this gives you a platform on where to base your relationship and to pray. You might not have known these things to be true about God, but this is who he is. This is where you can launch your faith. This is your authority on where to pray at. You might not know exactly how you need God to be the one that heals you. But you know that he is a healer. You don't, might not know exactly what you need him to provide. You might think you know what you need. You might say, God, I need this, but that's not the point. When you say this, you're not saying, God, will you provide X, Y, Z? What you're saying is, will you be the provider? Will you be the healer? Will you be the banner? Will you be the shepherd? Will you be the righteousness, the sanctification, the Lord of hosts, the God who is there? Will you be this because this is who you are? And I'm not putting a stipulation on this, but I'm asking because it's the authority by which I've been given to pray in faith. I trust you. I trust you. All right. The second thing about praying in faith is this, is that we have to pray in faith means we want to see God's will done on earth, to see Jesus glorified. Again, when we read these two passages in John 14 and Mark 11, I believe that, again, some of the, the point of what Jesus is saying is this, is that all these things, when we pray in the name of Jesus, when we pray, believing God, asking 
we open up the door of faith, what we're doing is this, is that the goal is that Jesus would be glorified. And how is Jesus glorified in these times? Is he's glorified in us? He's glorified on the earth. And it becomes this mesh up, this, this mashing together of when we begin to live in this place. And again, I can't say this loud enough, but the prayer of faith, I believe, with all my heart, brings us into a deep intimacy with God. It causes us to grow in this relationship to the point where our joy becomes making his joy known. That we find the fulfillment of our life by seeing him glorified in our lives and on this earth. And I don't know in what scenario that ever becomes a bad thing or a controlling thing. I think the more that I choose to walk in the love of God and not in just my natural desires, which glorifies God, that's a good thing. The more I choose to respond to people, not from Andy's responses or his, his heart, but I choose to allow the Holy Spirit to control me and to speak from the love of God and the peace of God and the future of God, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. The more I choose to look at people who are going through hard things and say, listen, I love you, I'm here with you, but I want to pray a prayer of faith because I know he's a healer, I know he's a banner, I know he's a shepherd. Can I pray with you? That's always a good thing. That's never a bad thing. Right, And when we do that, what's happening is that Jesus is being glorified. That God is being glorified in us and on the earth. Number three, the prayer of faith is not based on what we see or what we think. It's based on what the word says. It's based on what the word says. And again, this falls in line with understanding who God is. Justin, I'm going to close here so you can come on up, man. We'll stop here today. But the same thing applies to when we choose to pray, the prayer of faith has to be rooted in the word of God. And the reason why is because the prayer of faith means that we have to move past what we simply see and what we might feel. Especially when those things contrast or limit what we feel like God can do. The prayer of faith is rooted in the truth of who God is. Now, this is what I want to do, what I want to offer to you here. And again, I know I'm giving you some information here. And, 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 and please, if you would, just write this down. Is I just want to look at four, really quickly, four of Paul's prayers. Things that you can apply to your life to pray right now. Four of Paul's prayers. Two are in the book of Ephesians, one in Philippians, one in Colossians. In Ephesians 1, 17 through 19, I love, I love the prayers in the book of Ephesians. They're amazing. Paul prays this. That the believers there in Ephesus, that the believers, as believers, we would grow in the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In the knowledge of him. So that we would know the hope of our calling. And one thing that you can pray right now, that you can anchor your faith in the word of God to pray, the prayer of faith is that you might grow in the understanding and the revelation of the knowledge, the wisdom of God. And again, some of you've heard this before, some of you haven't. The difference is this. The wisdom of God, the knowledge of God moves from here to here. 
It moves from your head to your heart. That you would really understand it. And maybe the challenge for you in, in, in this opportunity to pray in faith is to say, God, could I really know you as my peace? Not here, but here. I want to seek your face. I, I want to I pray in faith. God, you promised it. I want to grow in this understanding. Would you help me to grow in this? But the second part of this prayer that's so significant, that, that follows Paul's prayers for the believers, which is something we can really have to anchor ourselves in, and it requires the prayer of faith, I believe is that we would know the hope of our calling. And again, I think this is the mashup of this picture of grace, the righteousness and the sanctification, of understanding the significance of being set apart, being loved by God, being called a son or daughter of God, being able to be called the righteousness of God, and, and knowing that the work of the Holy Spirit empowers us to live to that place. I believe that's the, that, that's our calling. We say this a bit here, and I know for some people this is something that they feel like they're they're just searching for, and my, my prayer is this, that as you grow in the revelation of the love, of the peace, of the banner, of the of these truths of who God is, that you the understanding of your calling would be made clear. And that calling is is both individually and corporately seen. That, that every one of you is, is special and unique. There's a gift. And again, I could, if we had time, spend time and just pick out people and go, this is, this is a gift you have. This is a gift you have. I know that. I, I see that in this room. Things that God has put inside of you. They're not, they're not just things that you're naturally good at, but as the grace of the Holy Spirit is thrust upon those things, that they're enhanced and they bring out joy and life to the people around you. That's your calling. And then we also have a corporate calling, and that corporate calling is this, is to be the church. Not Freedom Christian Fellowship, but the embodiment of the good news of the gospel everywhere we go. That the light in the life of the gospel follows us. And to me, when I, when I read this, there's something that is so just profoundly powerful about this. Because... I believe this, this is what the scripture tells us, that without hope, without hope, that our heart, that our spirit begins to diminish, that there's, listen, when we don't have that hope, and that hope can only be seen through Jesus Christ, through that calling that he's given us. In Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, you can write these down and read these. I'm highlighting the bits and pieces of these prayers. Paul prays this. That our spirit would be strengthened so that Christ would dwell in us by faith. That faith would grow. I want you to see a beautiful connection. In order for faith to grow, your spirit man has to grow. And Paul's saying this. That when you come into your corporate times... When you come into your private times with God, when you're, when you're reading the word, when you're listening to whatever it is that glorifies God, podcasts, worship music, whatever it is, I pray that the Holy Spirit touches that and your spirit begins to be strengthened so that faith would begin to grow inside of you. 
That the soil in which faith grows is the soil of the Spirit. It's not the soil of your soul. It's not your understanding, your emotions. It's not your flesh. It is your spirit. And if you're going to grow in faith, your spirit has to be strengthened. And our prayer can be, Holy Spirit, would you strengthen my spirit so that faith could grow? And then he goes on and he says this. And this is probably the keynote thing of what this prayer in Ephesians 3 is, is that we would know the fullness of the love of God. That this overwhelming love that God has for us would be made alive inside of us every day. That it would dwell in richness in our hearts. That we would know what it is to be loved by the eternal almighty God. The, the one who created us and cares for us and loves us. To know the fullness of that love. And then again he says this. That we might know the immeasurable working of God in us. The things that exceed our understanding. More than our eyes can see. Or what we can imagine. And he speaks to this hope again. And these are places in which we can anchor our prayer. That it lines up with the word. God would you strengthen my spirit. So that faith would dwell in me. Would you let your love be unfolded in my life, that I might understand it more, that I might love you deeper, that I might love other people deeper. God, would you overwhelm me with the hope of your calling? The things that I haven't even begun to dream about, God, but you have in store for me, would you begin to show me? In Philippians 1, 9 through 11, again, Paul says this, that love, the love of God would grow inside of us. Again, pulling us closer to Him and others. Pulling us closer to Him and to one another. The purpose of this love is that we grow in intimacy and we grow in love with one another. But He goes on and He says this, I pray that your walk would be pure and blameless. That you live ready for His coming. He prays this, that we live in this eternal hope. That we live our lives in such a manner. And I don't know about you, but I think this is a little bit particularly challenging. If I could, if I could just say this for a second. Because there's a lot of things that direct the attention. That occupy our attention and our focus and our energy. And Paul says this, my prayer is this, that the Holy Spirit... The love of God would abound in you so much that you would walk with a consideration on how to be pure and blameless, ready for His coming. And can, can I... Would you like to live 2020 with less regrets than 2019? That's a bad joke from Snickers. No regrets, right? Tattoo joke, whatever. All right. Do you regret some of the conversations that you've had, the things that you've said in, in a place, in a momentary place of, of emotion or frustration or, or fear? Do you wish you could have a couple of things back that you said that, or you did that you wish you wouldn't have done? Paul prays here for us that we can anchor our faith in, that we can pray as well as to say, God, would you just create in my heart a love? 
for you that grows in devotion towards you and is patient and kind with others that reflects the love that you have for people. God, would you remind me, Holy Spirit, would you lead me that I'm not just living for this earth, but I desire the things that I do on this earth to have an internal impact. And he prays that the fruit of righteousness would grow inside of us. I think this goes hand in hand with this idea. In Colossians 1, 9 through 12, finally, again, he prays for the knowledge of the will of God to be known through the Holy Spirit. But he says something. Y'all hang in here. My daughter just laughed at me. Said, live a life worthy of your calling. Bearing good fruit. And Paul prayed this. And what does this mean? It means these three things. That we would grow in the knowledge of God. That we would grow in patience and endurance. And that we would be a people giving thanks to God. Friends, listen to this. Paul's saying this. He's saying, listen, as we grow... As the Holy Spirit reveals himself to us as we pray this, as we anchor this in this truth, what's happening is this, is that we begin to bear the fruit of the calling that we've been given in Christ Jesus. And that means this, that we're growing in the knowledge of God, the understanding of who he is, but we're growing in patience and we're growing in endurance. I'm impressed I've listened to different stories this year, and I see this fruit being born in so many people, this patience and this endurance. I think of one person in particular that is sitting here this morning who I love dearly. She told me about what God's been doing in her life and some of the things. And listen, this this walk of patience and endurance, I know that it's getting late. I know you're ready to go, but you need to hear this. It's not perfect. It doesn't mean that you don't hit ups and downs. But what it means is this. is not through the merit of your strength or your ability. Are you measuring your ability to be patient or to endure, to be the things that God's called you to be, but only upon the strength of the Holy Spirit. It's only when we lean on that. And I thank God for the testimonies of the people that I've heard that are doing this. And then finally, giving thanks to God to be a thankful people. Let me pray for you this morning. Now, Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for who you are. That Jesus, you opened the door through some mighty big words that you spoke. When you invited us into the understanding of who you are, that we might pray in faith. Believing not upon the things that we feel, the things that we see, the problems that we face, or God, what limits us in our understanding, but, but rather in the truth of who you are. So God, this year in 2020, I ask that you begin to unlock just faith inside of us as we pray, as we live our life. 
Father, I pray that we would begin to walk in a deeper place, desire to know you, to have a relationship with you. Father, I know that there's people in this room that have been walking with you for 30, 40, 20, 15, 10 years. There's folks that have been walking with you for a couple of months. But God, the truth is, every one of us, we need to grow in a deeper understanding of who you are. Holy Spirit, would you just reveal the truth of who you are to us in a deeper way? And God, this year, as we set out this year and we ask you, Lord, what is it that you want to do in our lives? I pray just the same way that Paul prayed, Lord, that you would just begin to reveal the hope of your calling in each life, to remind them of that hope. God, that, that hope is not based upon personal failures from last year. God, that hope is not based upon the resources that people see in their life right now. God, that hope is not based, like Gideon, in the lack of courage that they might feel that they have. But Lord, that hope is anchored firmly in Jesus Christ, the one who's called. And so, Holy Spirit, let hope arise. Let hope arise. Let hope arise. Would you anchor us in the depth of your love and the truth of who you are? That we would walk in that calling, God. That we would walk in a place where we know you in a deeper way. That we would pray in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? This morning, as we close, if anybody needs prayer for something, something I want to move us to as a church is this. The invitation has always been to come up, and it's still here. It's still here. If you need prayer, then you could come up. There'll be people that'll be happy to pray with you. But as a church in 2020, as we grow in relationship and we make room for the people that God's bringing into our church, the relationship between us should grow in such a way that we care for one another. And so you might be standing next to somebody who's in this church that you love and you might have a need. And today, if you need prayer, the first thing in the first place I want to direct your heart to is to look to your left or your right. Can you join hands with somebody and pray with somebody? But if you need prayer for something, don't leave this place. But come, pray with somebody next to you or come to the front. Come to the front. We bless you. Father, I declare your grace, the grace and the fullness of Jesus Christ upon every person. Let your goodness follow them. Lord, today, this week, and the rest of their lives, I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.